the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We. Oui. 
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. She was only perhaps 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. She was to be married. She was a virgin. Joseph was probably quite a bit older, probably already established. I want to share with you tonight what happens when when God steps in with his agenda. We want to so romanticize the past events of Scripture. And we want to apply to that event our meaning. But tonight, let's look at God's meaning. And let's not romanticize it. Let's see it in stark reality. This is what happens when God steps in. Now, just one quick sweep of the brush. When God steps in, usually everybody's life gets messed up. When God steps in, one of the sure signs that it's God is that everybody else's agenda is destroyed. So now they're planning the wedding. Mary is waiting for her betrothed to come and take her from her family to the new home prepared for her. They have celebrated that cup of wine. They are betrothed in that culture. That meant the same as being married, except they didn't live together. Anything that would separate them would be considered divorced. They were absolutely given to each other in marriage. It simply had not been consummated. And she is waiting now with great expectation for Joseph to come and pick her up and have that wonderful wedding banquet. We find in Matthew, the first chapter, that she was found to be with child. In other words, Joseph's bride is found to be with child, and he knows he was not with her. So who was she with? And he was a righteous man. He was torn apart. He was destroyed. He was distraught. How could his sweetheart do this to him? How could she bring such shame upon his name? How could this possibly happen? And he knows that if he accuses her publicly, she'll be stoned to death. He doesn't want her stoned to death. He loves her. But it's very clear she loves someone else. She has betrayed the man she's to wed. He plans to put her away privately, to divorce her. And we find in verse 20 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
Now he knows who his competition is. God steps in in such messy ways. You cannot be a child of this age and a follower of Jesus too. And some of you have so struggled with this issue. You have said, yes, Jesus, you may have this. And you may have this. And you found the circle drawing closer around you so that you recognize you own less and less in this world until finally you reach that point where you say, wait a minute, if I go any further, I'll have nothing left. And if I have nothing left, what what do I have to live for? Jesus. You have Jesus to live for. You have Jesus to live for. But you see, it's so difficult because as the circle draws smaller around us, we want to go into unconsciousness. We just want to veg out. We want to hit that refrigerator and say, I deserve this. We want to do things that say, I still have my independence. I still have my mind. For many of you, the last thing to go will be your mind. Questioning everything God tells you to do. Questioning his every command. He whispers to you and you say, if that's really you, God, you better shout at me. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Filling our mind with all kinds of darkness so we don't have to listen. A man called me this past week. He said, Pastor, I'm having a very difficult time. I've heard you preach about listening to God speak. God hasn't spoken to me this last year. What do I do? I said to him, it's real hard to hear God speak when he's not speaking. The question is, why isn't he speaking? And in the scripture, there are examples of of men like Abraham, where for 13 years God didn't speak because he had his precious Ishmael. And when we have our precious Ishmaels, God stops speaking I said to this man, my brother, go into the prayer closet and give God more ground in your life and you'll find he'll start speaking again. You have decided not to allow God to have certain parts of your life. He can't speak to you anymore with integrity because you've barred him. But I said, I must caution you, as you go into that prayer closet, know that he's going to ask for more than you want to give him. And if you choose not to give him what he's asking for, he'll stop speaking to you again, and the scriptures will turn to cardboard, and you won't be able to read them. They'll be boring to you. And you'll be cruising on what you know intellectually about Jesus but there'll be no passion in your heart and no fire in your spirit because you're unwilling to submit to him. And then you'll have a religion of man's rules, man's traditions. It will become ritualized 
Christian living. But your love for Jesus will be gone. The only way your love for Jesus can continue to grow is to continue to allow him access to taking more and more of your life. And so Joseph decides he's going to put away his wife. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, this is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, you know, means the Lord saves. It is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew word Joshua. You're to call him Joshua because Joshua brings you into the promised land because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that is Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Well, we would immediately think to ourselves, what a wonderful thing. The conflict has been resolved. Now it's live happily ever after. No. Now God arranges that there will be a decree proclaimed that this couple will have to go to Bethlehem on a donkey, pregnant, ready to give birth, uncomfortable. Simply to fulfill the word of Scripture. Find the story. The book of Luke tells us how all of this came to pass. Chapter 2, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. They're living together, but they are still not considered as married because it has not been consummated. So he's living in shame. And now he has to pack his pregnant girlfriend, fiancé, off to Bethlehem. And they get there and there's no room in the inn. And all that's available is a stable. Now, some of you are not farmers. You've never cleaned out a stable. I have, many times. Put your boots on and your shovel. But I tell you what, it's impossible to clean a stable out and stay clean. Stables stink. The aroma of manure. I can't think of a place I would rather not be born in. Jesus is born in a stable with the stench and with the animals. 
He's born in a barn, in a cave. He's wrapped in the poorest of clothing, swaddling clothes. I wonder if if Joseph, sitting in that stable, thought to himself, why am I doing this? Why am I in a stable with a wife who's supposed to be pregnant with God? I mean, that has to be the craziest scenario a man can imagine. Talk about ruining his career. He's a carpenter. He doesn't have retirement. If he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. He works with tools. He works for hire. There's no way to earn any money here. They've brought with them the small amount of money available that the family had in savings. What's he going to do? How's he going to pay for all of this? He's not a rich man. So here they are. The baby's born. And suddenly these shepherds show up. And they're crowding in and saying, we heard the angels sing. We want to see the baby. Joseph wants to hide the baby. This is an illegitimate child. It's supposed to be born of God. Who has ever heard of a child being born of God before? But now he's exposed to public as they come demanding to see this baby. And they're excited. And they hear about this baby. They bow down and worship this baby. Now think just for a minute with me about the shepherds. They're out in the fields watching their flocks like they always do. Suddenly the sky splits open and here's this choir of angels and they're singing the most beautiful music. I mean, you would, you would think, why is God wasting his best music on shepherds? Because his son is going to be a shepherd. He's the shepherd of his sheep. He doesn't go to the priests and break out in the temple. He breaks out on the hillside. But now, wait a minute, think about these these shepherds. What did they do next? They had to leave the presence of this baby. And the next morning found them back out herding their sheep. It's like God in a flash broke into their lives, showed them the awesomeness of his wondrous glory in giving birth to the Christ child and then puts them back working, taking care of their sheep. I don't want one glorious event. I want glorious event, glorious event, glorious event, glorious event. I mean, let's keep this thing going. But no, go back and go to work at your mundane task. Another morning, the sheep have snot in their nose to be cleaned out. Go back and do your job. Come into the presence of God. And then what's he say? Go back to your jobs. Do what you're supposed to do. You say, I don't want to do that, God. I want to be in your presence. 
I want to watch the baby grow up. Now go back to your job. Ah, God comes in such amazing way. His glory is seen. His music is heard. And then he wants to know what we're going to do. After they've moved to a house, using the last of the money, I'm certain, wise men show up from the east. They're following a star. Anybody ever accuse you of just following a star? You know, what are you doing? Get real. This is not reasonable. How do you know which way to go? I listen to the Holy Spirit. What spirit? You're crazy. I'm following a star to the Christ child. They come and see the baby. And they bring their gifts. What's the first gift they bring to the Christ child? Gold. Gold. Why? Because God knows in just a couple days, he's going to tell Joseph, pack up and get out of here tonight. You're headed to Egypt. He doesn't want to head to Egypt. He wants to go back home to Nazareth. But he's he's sending... Joseph and Mary to Egypt. And he's paying their way. Now, what else does he bring? They bring frankincense because they're going to have in their lives the rich aroma of God himself. And they give him myrrh because they are going to suffer with the death of this Christ child. When God comes into your life, He brings gold. As you make this transition from walking the way of the world and earning your own money to a place where you now trust Jesus to provide for you exactly what He wants you to have because He may send you to Egypt. He also gives you frankincense because you're going to have on the journey the sweet aroma of the presence of God in your life. And he sends you myrrh because there's a cross for you to bear. There's some dying that's going to have to happen. Now again, when God comes into your life, he messes it up. He doesn't come in and just let you continue on the course of your pursuit. He changes your direction. He changes what's happening. He opens the windows of heaven and he lets you see that choir. He lets you hear the glorious music. And then he sends you back. But you're changed. You're different. Because now you're going back as his servant. You're going back under his command. You're going back to do what he tells you to do, where he assigned you to do it. You think of 
of others like Simeon. I've always loved Simeon. Luke, the second chapter, verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In other words, the coming of Jesus uncovers our hearts and reveals what we really are inside. But now think for a minute about Simeon. Simeon has been pleading for the restoration of Israel. He says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now, Simeon was expecting that Jesus would bring the kingdom of God and would take the throne of David. He was expecting, if you please, the second coming of Jesus. In Scripture, he had not seen that there would be 2,000 years separating those events. So consider Simeon. God came into his life and moved him to become an intercessor to cry out for the coming of Messiah. But when Messiah came, he didn't do anything Simeon thought he would do. And some of you have said, I'll follow Jesus, but then you've seen what he wants to do, and you say, that doesn't fit my expectation. You're not doing what I thought you would do. I thought there'd be thousands of people in revival. Now, if you're not going to do it my way, Jesus, I'm out of here. Oh, the Lord is looking for men and women who will not turn against him because his ways are not like our ways. The Lord wants to know if he can come and mess up your life. He wants to know if you will let him bring shame on your life. I read this dear brother who's an evangelist in South Africa, and he said in South Africa today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shamed. It's being shamed because those who call themselves Christians across this nation are seeking the benefits and the prosperity imported by American preachers. He said in the old days when we would bring someone to Jesus Christ and they would say, yes, I will follow Jesus. Before they were baptized, they were asked in public, are you willing to die for Jesus Christ. And if they could not say, I am willing to die for Jesus Christ, I'm willing to go to prison for Jesus Christ, I'm willing to be tortured for Jesus Christ, they were not baptized because they were not converted. He said that whole concept has been cast aside by the body of Christ today in South Africa. And it came from America. We don't want the Lord God to mess up our agenda. We want to live our life. Have our gummy bears. 
have all of our candies and think that Jesus is going to come and be one of those sweet candies. I want to tell you tonight, you're not a Christian if you're not willing to die for Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to suffer torture. If you're not willing to suffer shame. You're not a Christian. If you're unwilling to allow your life to be messed up. You're not a Christian. Because any Christian knows God messes up his life. And nothing works the way he thought it would work. And he doesn't understand why it's happening. And he has to lay aside all of his agenda and all of his thoughts and say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what the price. I follow Jesus. He said, South Africa is now ready, prepared for Antichrist. He said, the churches are training God's people to accept the mark of the beast. Most of us in America have been well prepared for the mark. We've been trained and conditioned by the belief that God is there to give us all these wonderful gifts. Oh, and he is. He's there to give us the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh so he can send us to the world, Egypt, as his witness. The scriptures say he called his son out of Egypt. God is going to call his sons and daughters out of Egypt. They're separate from Egypt. They're sold out. And some of you get so angry with God. You become so diswrought in your spirit. You become so upset. You become so despondent because things aren't working the way you think they ought to work. You don't have what you think you ought to have. Oh, I want to tell you tonight, there's only one thing that we're to have. His name is Jesus. We're to come under that anointing power of the Holy Ghost. And our heart's cry is Jesus. Jesus. I ask you tonight, to consciously in your mind turn aside from every agenda that you have established. Lay down all your requirements. Discard all of your expectations for how the National Prayer Chapel is going to work or how revival is going to work. Lay them aside. Lay aside how you think your life should operate. And ask Jesus to step in. Now, I had an interesting encounter with the Lord God of heaven today. I've been out of town for two weeks. I could barely wait to get back in my prayer room. I got back in the prayer room and I said, Oh, Lord, you've been with me these two weeks. You've evidenced that time after time. But I have to just confess, I've missed you in this prayer closet. Because this is where you've always come and met me. I said, I want to be a child of yours. And I began to pray in a manner, Lord, I feel separated from you. I want to be your child. I want to be your servant. Lord, stop me. I said, you are my child. You are my servant. What are you talking about? 
And I recognize I've been praying in unbelief. See, as long as I want to be a child of God, I'm not a child of God. And I've just been hearing the Spirit of God say, step into what I've given you. Claim what I've given you. But Jesus, it doesn't look like what I want. Step into what I've given you. But Jesus, it doesn't seem to work the way I thought it was supposed to work. Step into what I've given you. Well, Jesus, I just don't feel anything. Step into what I've given you. See, I've had so many expectations about how God should be and what God should be. No, it's not what I expect. It's what God expects. When Jesus came into this world, he destroyed man's expectations of what Messiah was going to be. They thought Jesus should come and take up arms and destroy the Roman government. They thought he should set Israel free. They could not accept a Messiah who came riding on a donkey in peace, in submission, humble of heart. They couldn't accept that kind of Messiah. Oh, the Jewish leaders in the temple would have accepted a strong military leader who could provide them with the economic resources and plunder of Rome. But Jesus had no interest in the plunder of Rome. He already owned Rome. He was using Rome. Has Jesus messed up your life? He has mine. I praise his name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there despair in your heart tonight? Is there discouragement in your spirit? That's only because he's not operating the way you think he ought to operate. So check out whether you're God or he's God. I think you'll find he's God. He's the Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the living one. The scriptures say there was life in Jesus. It was not temporary. It was eternal. Have you allowed Jesus to come in? Have you refused to step into what he's asked you to step into? Are you still like I was, crying out, Lord, make me your servant. Let me be your child. I want to serve you. He's saying tonight, step in. You are his child. You are his servant. He does love you. Nothing has taken Jesus by surprise. He knows where you are. He knows the anguish of your heart. He's counted the hair on your head. There's no reason to fear. Christmas. In the world, it's about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer about Santa Claus. 
It's about icing and trinkets and tinsel on the tree. That's not what it was about when Jesus was born in a manger. It was about the King of kings and the Lord of lords saying, I'm going to come and live with you. I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to be one with you. And I invite you to come and be one with me. A child has been born. Let's pray. Oh Lord, a child has been born. Lord, a child has been born. I thank you. I glorify and honor your name. I praise your name. Nothing has worked the way I thought it should. Nothing has worked the way I thought it could. Lord, all my plans have been cast down. But, oh God, I trust you to send day by day the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. I honor your name this day, King of all the earth.
Good night and God bless.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.